nice being here with you. Sun shining. I feel a Christian when the sun shines. <laughs> Don't you? You know what I mean? Sort of a, I know there's, there's times when you get up in the morning and it's dark and it's wet and you get in the car and you drive and you get home and dark and the wet. And it's nicer when the sun's shining. I loved all the announcements. I was just saying, that, but are we actually somebody in St. Albans got saved during the announcements? Yeah, that's quite true. This man, she, she, we were, I always moaned about the announcements. So at least 20 minutes, because there were always teams going out doing something. They'd come back and they'd share. So another team was going, I had to pray for them, going out. And oh, they're not. I thought, oh, going forever. And I was praying this man, he gave his life to the Lord. He said, you, I said, so what, what, did you become a few weeks? What was it changed? He said, I sat through those announcements. I thought, these people really believe this, don't they? <laughs> so if they're doing all this, it must be true. And he said it was like the lights came on. So there you go. Keep giving long announcements. That's not the, not the, but it's great, though. Never trust a church that can tell you in 30 seconds what they're doing all week. Don't go to that church. Go to the church that takes ages to say there's so much is happening. This is great. Let me read to you from the Bible. If you are under 30, you might want to into one of these. This is, this is called a Bible. It's the, the one's available in printed form. And so they might be worth a bit of money soon. Did you know the Bible's got 66 books in it? And so it all comes from one big... You have to have a look at one of these. And at, during the sermon, it's got maps at the back. That's as interesting as it gets. When we were young, if this preacher was boring, you only had the maps to look at. You couldn't Google anything. Anyway, Mark... Oh, so I'm not told you where we are yet. Exodus chapter 3. And we'll see where we go with that. Exodus chapter 3. And we'll read the first seven verses probably i read from the new king james and uh there we go the born again king james i call it so now moses was tending the flock of jethro that's his father-in-law the priest of midian and they led the flock to the back of the desert and came to horeb the mountain of god and the angel of the lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush so he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, but he's afraid to look upon God. And the Lord says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Amen. Let's now stop there. Well, we all know about Moses, don't we? We all sort of think we know about Moses. And I think in... Um, this is about longevity. How many people here have been a Christian more than five years? Who have been a Christian more than 10 years? More than 20 years? More than 30 years? More than 50 years? Right, that's enough. <laughs> I'm not going any further than that. But so, so, this is about, so I want to talk to you about Moses and how, how do you keep going? How, but not more, more than that, how do, how do you revisit the cutting edge? How do you keep going? Because I've been praying for revival nearly all my life. And I've sort of seen some things, but it's not what I'm after yet. 
And Moses had an interesting character. Moses was, he was born a pauper, brought up a prince, and then flees as a murderer. He's got quite an interesting background, really. One of the things I do is we, we try to find pastors for churches. This would be a very interesting CV to present to a, a church. It depends where you caught him on his timeline, how good he was. I don't know how you, what picture you have of Moses. But often when you say Moses, people think of almost a picture of a, a sort of slightly wild-looking man coming down a mountain with, with a, a lightning in the background with long hair and a long beard and a couple of uh, stone tablets under his arms, which was um, the Ten Commandments, Mark 2. Because if you've read your Bible, you know that Moses was the first man to break all Ten Commandments in one day. I would think when God gave it to him, says, says that. But right, again, uh, I'll write these Moses because there's one that says, Thou shalt not kill in there, and you might skip that one. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just keep them going. So we have that picture, but that, that's not the Bible. That's Charlton Heston. That was in the film. I forget you a certain age to get that one. Moses, probably in the time when he was in Egypt, he obviously was born an Israelite. His, his uh, mum hides him in the bulrushes in a Moses basket. Isn't that a coincidence? He hid him in a Moses basket, and, 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 and the Pharaoh's daughter finds him and adopts him. So he goes from being a, a, a child in a persecuted group. If a soldier had found him, he'd have been killed. But they, they, royalty found him, and he was saved. And he's brought into a home, and he's brought up really, really, really with a silver spoon, or probably a golden spoon in his mouth and he, he would have been really well educated and he would um, he would understand basic calculus and certainly would speak several languages and they're all the young princes would have been used to give orders like you know like the NCOs and they, um, they, they used them to tell the troops what they do so he was grown up getting used to people listening to him and he didn't look like that picture at all he looked like he'd have a shaved head because in those days um only rich people could afford really good blades because they weren't easy to get. So he'd have a shaved head and probably a little goatee beard. And so, um, so the picture, that's why when he, when he fled, I guess he did grow his hair long and a beard. That would be a good uh, uh, disguise for him. And, <clears throat> and I don't know how we thought about it. I don't know how people thought about him because if, if you had, had had a baby who was killed by the Egyptians and then you saw Amram and Jochebed, their little boys, suddenly in, in the palace... Did you rejoice for him or did you feel it wasn't fair? I don't know. I don't know. But he was, he, he was kept there. And, and he looked like one of these Egyptians. And can you remember Miriam, his sister, was there when you found him. And she says, would, would you like to get a nurse to look after him? And she said, yeah, that's a good idea. So he went and got his mum. So his mum was paid to look after his child, which was the beginning of the welfare state, if you think of way back then. So I said, so we're paid to look after your own child. So she, still, that whole family was lifted out of poverty and everything, everything good was happening to him. When do you think Moses' mum let slip to him, you're not really an Egyptian? And the, the princess isn't really your mummy either. I'm your mummy. I'm your mummy. That's your daddy. Don't tell anyone. You're one of us. You're here, obviously God's got something special for you. Don't tell anyone. I wonder, when he had, I wonder if he dreams. I wonder if he dreamt about, you know, one day I'll stand up and say, let my people go, and they'll all come, and I'll be like, wow, I wonder, do you ever have dreams? Do you have dreams of grandeur? And I've only stopped dreaming I'm going to play for Scotland in the World Cup. <laughs> for lots of reasons. One, I'm not good enough, and number two, they're not good enough. But, that's sort of thing. but those are when dreams get hit by reality, I wonder if he had those sorts. I wonder if he's waiting to be discovered. I wonder if you're waiting to be discovered. 
for somebody to notice you. And it's, it's almost like um, <coughs> you can actually think you're better than you really are. But and dreams are good, aren't they? Until they're shattered. I remember my wife saying to me once, "Oh, some woman in the church has just come up to me and said, how wonderful it must be to be married to you. She <laughs> says, why? She says, how loving you are, how caring you are. And I thought, I can't see the problem here, really, what you're on about. I can't. The problem is that sometimes people look at our pictures and they think, you're, Cla- you're, 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 you're Superman. But my wife knows that she married Clark Kent. <laughs> and until we realize who we are, we're going to have dreams, daydreams rather than God dreams. And I suspect maybe Moses has a bit of a, a daydream. He dreamt about himself. And when reality hits it, you find out who you really are. His dream wasn't totally wrong, but it wasn't totally right either. And there comes that time when uh, man's plan and God's plan get mixed up. Do you remember, what, do you remember the story with Moses? He... he I don't know, he's 40, so he's not, he's not a boy anymore. He's not something like a teenager with a bad temper. He's 40. I find it very interesting that, that Moses had a bit of a temper. I mean, he definitely had a bit of a temper because when he, when he, he saw this Egyptian, Hetan, one of the Hebrews, who's now his people, he didn't say to him, stop it. He went and killed him with his bare hands and buried him. How would you feel? If I said to you, I've got a little secret about Martin, you don't know. <laughs> Once down the beach in Borkham, he killed somebody and buried him. You think, that's not good. Moses, the meekest man on all the earth. No, he had a bit of a temper. He had something. He kills that man and, and buries him. And he probably thought, well, that's it. Maybe this is my day. Maybe this is my time. Maybe it's come. Maybe this is it. Next day or so, a couple of, I'm not sure if it was a day or so, we don't quite tell you. Quite soon afterwards, he sees two Hebrews, Israelites, arguing together. He's going... Stop, stop. You are brothers. It's almost like you imagine them going, please, stop, stop. You're brothers. Don't do that. You ever have anyone here get children? You ever go on a car together and they fight and they used to be fighting about it? I say, stop it. Stop it. Said, For goodness sake, you're sisters. And I thought, it's because you're sisters. You're arguing, isn't it? Really? That's, the, that's the result. Said, you're brothers. Stop it. Stop. And they turned around and they said to him, who are you? Made you a prince over us. He's going, yeah, that's me. I'm the prince. Who are you? You, you? Are you going to kill us as well? And he thought, oh, no, they know. They suddenly know. And suddenly, Clark Kent is standing there, wondering why he's got his underpants on outside his trousers. <laughs> I think, and, he, and he goes and runs for his life. And he wanted that honour. He wanted that honour. And he has to run for his life for, for the next 40 years. How do, you, how do you get a sweet spirit? Something must have happened to Moses because... 40 years later, God describes him as the meekest man in all the earth. Right now he's not. Right now he's not. He has to run for his life. What did God have to do in my heart to change me? From, and I haven't got rid of all my faults yet. But sort of thinking, what will he... I, I want to be greatly used of God. But sometimes he says, so what will he have to do for you then? Which situation are you going to go into to change you? Because I think Moses... I don't think he's a great success in life. 40 years, and he has to run for his life, and then becomes a shepherd in the desert. I think Moses wasn't a successful failure. I think he, was an unsuc- he wasn't even good at being a failure. He's what I would call a pretty unsuccessful failure. He says, he, what we read was he was tending the flock of his 
Jethro, his father-in-law. So he's nearly 80 now. He's in his 70s. He still hasn't even got his own flock. He's still wanting for somebody else. And, and, and I'm not great at agriculture and stuff like that, but, but I'm pretty certain if I had a flock, I'm not sure if it's sheep or goats, didn't tell you. It might probably goats be out in the day. But anyway, if, if this flock of, of, of animals, where would you take them? I know. Let's take the animals. Let's take the sheep and goats and let's go out the desert. No, go find somewhere green with grass. Well, why wouldn't you find somewhere green with grass? Because all the top farmers have got those. We've got, we're, we're, we're not up the top. We, they must be down the bottom. They must be really low. So he's actually on the second, second rung of a second rung farmer who doesn't, doesn't own his own farm, doesn't actually own his own flock, hasn't even got a good place to take him. He's not doing fantastic. In fact, the job of a shepherd was looked down on by Egyptians. It was, it was some of the jobs, they didn't mind immigrants doing it. That's the sort of job we want you to do. You're an immigrant, you can do that. And so that's when, when Joseph came with all his family, there were sheep. They said, that's all right, because Egyptians didn't want to do it. And, and I, I know it's, it's, most countries, they don't mind if, if people who emigrate in their country do the jobs that they don't want to do. They let them do them. It's when they start doing the jobs that they want. That's when you get the, the problem. Moses could do what he liked because nobody, nobody wanted to do the job he was doing. He was unsuccessful. And he actually passed himself in the desert. But see, the desert changed Moses. Something happened. We have a choice. When you go through a bad experience, you can either make it good or you can learn bad. Either it'll make you bitter or it'll make you better. I have to decide the attitude which you do. There's, there's a, an ingredient in, in the worship uh, incense in, in Exodus 30 goes on it's called Garbanum. And it says that galbanum was a sort of, and if you take galbanum and you taste it, it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, it makes you want to spit, which is difficult in a public place. But I was given it. But if you put it over a flame, it actually is the sweetest smell you'll ever come across. And there's some things that if you ingest them, if you, they will leave a bad taste in your mouth. But if you learn to sacrifice them in praise and worship to the Lord, they'll fill the house with a beautiful scent. Moses took 40 years to learn, don't, don't, don't eat galbanum. Don't, don't go feeling sorry for yourself. Learn to give it to the Lord. I wonder if for the first couple of years he thought, I guess he was scared of anybody finding him. But how often might go through his mind, they might come looking for me. Because I, 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 I'm Superman, really. I, I, I was there for a reason. They, they will come looking for me. I wonder how long it was in the 40 years he thought, they're not coming, are they? This is it. I'm just going to have to make the best of who I am. And somehow he embraced the intimacy that brings holiness. And there's something about being alone with God for hours and hours and hours. Who do you talk to when you're in Mount Horeb with a load of sheep and goats by yourself for 40 years? Who would you talk to? So he was forced into years of seeking the face of God on his own. And sometimes that's the way it is. You just, you just feel like you missed your chance. He must have thought, I've blown it. I've really blown it. But ah. Oh, it's a chance that I had. Don't put your hand up because it's been videoed. But <laughs> have you ever looked back and there's things in your life and oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish. There's several events in my life that if I get my chance again, I would do it diff different. I wouldn't do it different unless I knew different. Would you? you did what you thought was right. The, the, the truth is you would do it the same again. But if I knew now, then what I knew now, I wouldn't have done it. I'm sure most of why did I have to kill the man? 
I was a prince. God just told him to stop. Why did I do that? Why? Why did I kill him? Why? 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 He didn't know. You may have done something you have still never been able to forgive yourself for. It may have been last week. It may have been 40 years ago. Moses is the picture that God forgives. And God can actually redeem people, no matter how long it's been, no matter how bad it's been. His plan, his purpose, his love for you is still great. So how do you keep that hope alive for 40 years? How do you keep hungry for revival when you feel you live in the desert? Um, my mother told me just before she died of stories of when I was a little boy. I used to be little. Because <laughs> I, I was brought up in Scotland. I don't know if some of you don't realise this is an accent. <laughs> this is not an impediment. This is an accent. Where I come from, everybody speaks like this. I mean, you get to heaven. You speak like this as well. Anyway, <laughs> she said to me that like, when I got a twin brother, an identical twin brother, good-looking boy, that's all I'm saying. But he and I, when we were growing up, our house was the house everyone went back to after church. We weren't rich. We were in a council estate, but my mum was a baker. She cooked apple pies and cakes and stuff. It was the only day in the week we had cakes. And so we used to get to share it with all my aunties. And we had about 20, 30 people in our little house. And we used to give out, none of them were my aunties. Everyone in church was called auntie. I was brought up in a season where everyone, every female was called auntie and every mom was called uncle. And it took me till I was about nearly 30 to work out. My dad only had two sisters. <laughs> so I thought, well, who's auntie? So my next door neighbor was Aunt Jean and Uncle Tommy. And they, we weren't related to them either. And so, but, but what happened, we'd give out all the cakes. And then we were sent up to bed and someone would get on the piano and they'd start singing. And then they'd start praying. I mean, upstairs, we hear this. Now, we wanted to go downstairs. The reason we wanted to go downstairs wasn't really a desire to pray. It was like, there's whole trayfuls of cake left there. <laughs> Somebody needs to eat that before it goes stale. And so we used to sneak down. To, at six years old, we're sneaking downstairs. I don't know how in your house. It wasn't my father that came out. It was my mother. Up, up those stairs. We weren't scared of my dad, but we were very scared of my mum. And so up the stairs. And so we used to go running back upstairs. And then... One time I said to my mum, but mummy, we want to pray. And my mother said, do you? Okay, this is what happens. You come in now and you sit that side and you sit that side. Because my brother, he's really not brave. He had to be divided. And so you split that way, split that way. And she said, we went around, we started praying for revival. And she said, when it came around to you, you were six years old. You wept and said, God, send revival to Scotland. So that makes me want to cry again. <laughs> I didn't pray for England. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I, 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 didn't know, I had a limited understanding of geography. But I just felt, God, send revival. Send revival. I'm 66 now, and I'm still praying, God, send revival. And I will not give up. I will not stop. I believe I was born to see revival. I think I've seen a bit of renewal. I think I've seen a move of God in this nation, but I've not seen what God put in my heart 60 years ago. And I'm not going to like Moses. I'm thinking, Lord, don't, I don't believe I missed my chance. I don't believe that. I'm going to keep going for that and praying for that. Because when Moses is praying, God turns up. God turns up. Because the key verse is verse 4. It says, like the, the bush that's burning, it's not consumed. And, and Moses says, I will turn aside and I'll look at this. And it says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, when the Lord saw, that he then he spoke to him. That's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like if he didn't turn aside, we're not talking to him. 
there's a little test, and I don't know what I can say it is, but it's almost like, are you still interested, Moses? Are you still do you still do you still want to meet with me, or have you given up? Are you just tired in life? Because see, Moses probably seen a burning bush before, and I know. I have, but let me tell you, he probably once or twice a year, he would see it right out in the, the dry places. Things would spontaneously combust. He's been there 40 years. So he's probably seen 40, between 40 and 80 of them, maybe in 100 times. So to us, it's unusual. Probably the first time he saw it, he ran back and said, have you seen that? I said, yeah, Moses, I must see it once a year, maybe, out in the middle of nowhere. All oh, right. So my, when I, Mandy and I went on holiday once to Lanzarote, you heard of Lanzarote? Mandy and I, we plan holidays. What we used to do sort of, before COVID, we were, we're allowed to get out of the country easily. But went to Lanzarote, Mandy would bring these things open, and then she would read, she's, she's really good, she reads everything. And she, she plans it all, and I just get up, where we're going. And, and, that, and that's, but I only read, there's a little box that's got figures in it. That's the only bit I read, how much everything costs. I go, no, I don't like that one. No, I really don't like that one. Well, that looks good. And so we ended up going to Lanzarote. So we're on a plane going to Lanzarote. And it's, it's Spanish. It's Lanzarote Spanish. So I hadn't checked the map or anything like that. And I said, how long did it take? I said, it's a long time to get in the Mediterranean. She says, it's not in the Mediterranean. So where is it then? She says, it's off the coast of Africa. And it is. It's the middle of nowhere. I said, I think, I hope we can find it. Because, I mean, Africa you can find, but Lanzarote. And, so, and, and when I was reading about it, it's a volcanic island. It's vol- and actually, if there's an active volcano, I thought, Mandy, I really did not realise that we were going to be risking our lives going towards an active volcano. And there's no beaches, everything's all black. It's because it's the black sand, I think. Whoa. But we went on one of these trips, bus trips, and they took you up the top of the mountain. Now, when you get up there, um, everyone streams off. And, 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 and they had a free, they said, come over, there's a free demonstration. I just heard the word free. And we, and we yeah. went out in the wards, and we're standing there, and they, they showed us three things. First thing, they, they, so there's about two busloads, what, what's that, 80 to 100 people. And they, they dug down and got some earth and said, feel this. And they held it out, and it was really hot. I thought, oh, that's hot. Just a couple inches under the ground, it's too hot to touch. The car park apparently was about that couple of feet thick tarmac because before the buses used to park there, they'd melt their tires. <laughs> so they had, they had to sort of, uh, oh, that's, that's hot. And then there's a hole, uh, they dug a hole about that round. And then they, they got a bucket of water and they said, stand back, everyone. And they put the bucket of water in and went, Psh, all the steam all about. Wow, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And then they had a big hole dug and somehow they had these like really dry bushes. And they dropped it in, and everyone looked over, and nothing happened. And in about less than two minutes, it spontaneously combusted because of the heat. and went on fire. And I thought, sermon illustration, thank you, Jesus, Exodus <laughs> chapter 3. Because you're never really on holiday, are you? Well, that's incredible. I said, man, you've seen that? Said, yeah, that's amazing. Life transforming. So we so said, all right, we're going now. And there's a shop over there. Man says, there's a shop. I said, oh, right. So, because she, she, my, my wife can find a shop anywhere. <laughs> she, has, in fact, she almost rebooted the economy after COVID by herself. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think she, Amazon, she, she launched them. Anyway, so we, about to go, and I saw another. I saw another bus, and said, "They're going to do it again, Monday." It's another free demonstration. She said, "There's a shop." I said, "There's a free demonstration." 
So she went, I went for a second life transforming experience. It's wonderful how clever you can look if you know what's going to happen. So I'm standing there, there's these two little old ladies, who are probably my age now, standing next to me. And they came around and I said, be careful, that might be a bit hot, that. that might. She said, really? She said, oh, oh, you're clever, aren't you? You knew that. I said, yeah, A-level physics, you know. <laughs> and then they've got this hole. I said, oh, they put water down there. Steam will come up. I said, really? Said, yeah, well, that's the way. That's. And they put the sip. They begin to think I'm a PhD by this time. I'm going, that's amazing. That's amazing. And then through this... Um, Push and I said, you know, that, that, that could go on fire, that, even without matches. I said, really? I said, yeah, wait. <sighs> My fan club was complete at that point. That was amazing. And I thought, that's wonderful. Everyone's talking about it. And they start moving towards the shop. I then saw there's more coaches coming. I thought, they're going to do it again. <laughs> but to be honest with you, two life transforming experiences in a day was enough even for me. So I left it and moved away. And, that, and Moses probably saw that 60 times. Twice was enough. Once was enough for Mandy. Twice was enough for me, but God said, are you still interested? Where is my heart now about a move of God? How am I really feeling about sticking with it? Not even just a move of God, for, for, for me, believing God, that I can still do what God called me to do. Have I sort of given up? As you're looking at it and saying, you've, you've seen it all before, or, or, or is he saying, this is the time to faith for something new? The gifts and calling of God are given without repentance. He still wants the same things for us. He's hungry. In the early 90s, we, that whole Toronto move of God, I remember we, we, we met with pastors, um, and I used to bring groups of pastors here to pray. And uh, we prayed for revival, and then sort of Toronto thing happened, and moved the spirit. And, and some years later, uh, probably 10, 15 years ago, I pulled a lot of them together again. And I said, if it happened again, would you go for it? I said, you ready to go for it again? And you know, about half of them said, I'm not sure. I said, I'm not sure. I said, why? I said, well, it was a bit hard. Some people left our church because they didn't like it. And I remember it was really late nights and long days. And I'm not sure. And I'm going, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this. I don't care how bad your desert's been. You still need to turn aside and see what God is doing. I'll be any hunger. It's almost like God saying, um, yeah, I might not move in revival. Is that all right with you? Yeah, it's all right, God. No, I'm sorry, it's not all right. It's not all right for me because I believe he's called us to pray for revival in our nation. In fact, in fact, I'm going to unpack this. But I want to say that I, a lot of my friends are going back. This is for my age. We're going back to sermons we're preaching before 1994 because it feels the same in the country right now as it did 30 years ago. It feels that we're just on the brink of another move of God. And we've been saying for years, this next move will have souls attached to it. The first one was almost to renew the church. This one is to reform the nation. It's going, are you ready to go again? Are you hungry to go again? I'm near finished, stay with me. I don't, a man called um, Scott McDermott, who's one of the leading... Methodist people in America. The Methodist is quite charismatic in America. But, and um, he said he had a vision. Now, he's, he doesn't, he's an academic. He's got more letters after his name than in his name. And McDermott's quite a big name. But he's doctor something, 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 some PhD, something, something. So he said, I had this encounter with two angels. He said, I'm not sure if I was in the spirit and I saw like a, a you know, really graphic vision or whether they actually arrived because I didn't touch them. So he's not sure. I thought, okay, academics, I don't care. I mean, actually, you know, when angels arrive, do you know, you know what the first word angels always say to people? Fear not. Why would that be? 
I think if an agent appeared in my bedroom, the first words they'd say to me would be, come back, <laughs> or come out from under that bed, you coward, and stuff like that. And so, but here I said these angels, and, and they had these boxes with them, and, and or, or sort of knapsacks, I think you call it. He called them knapsacks. I think we'd call them rucksacks. And, and, and he said, where are you going? He said, we're, we're revisiting the places where the Spirit's poured out. I mean, asking them, are they ready to go again? And he said, they said, some of them were saying no, and some of them were saying yes. And I said to him, what was in the rucksack? You know what he said? I didn't feel I could ask. I thought, just, oh, academics. I don't care what else we're saying. Do you know what I think was in this? I think signs and wonders. I think this next move of God's got miracles attached to it. But I've got to say this to you, that, 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 that for me, signs and wonders are like fireworks. Fireworks are really good inside. We once had a big youth event, and we, we got several thousand pounds worth of fireworks. I did not realize that was the beginning of the spend, not the end. Because f- before we were allowed to get the pyrotechnic people in, we had to hire the, the fire service to be outside. We had to upgrade every, everything. It cost thousands just to do it inside, because fireworks aren't really meant to go off inside. They're for outside. But we, and you can have a fantastic display for... In this case, I think there's a couple of thousand young people. But actually, if you really want to show fireworks, you go outside where it's darkest. You go to the darkest place you can find and you light up the skies. The gifts of the Spirit are meant for going out into the dark places, for lighting up the skies. The gospel has to get outside the church's walls. We have to realize that Moses, we have to, we have to go back to where the people are. He has, a, he has a miraculous experience of God. And God says, you, you have to go to the people now. For this to work, you have to go where people are. The people are not coming to you, Moses. You're going to have to go to the people. And if we're going to see this, we're going to have to say, let's, let's go heal people in the streets. Let's go and... Let's go, let's go places where people won't be able to deny it. And I could give you story after story of this happening, of, of I think, little miracles, and at least one big miracle I know, that's happened on the streets of people being healed because God's setting off fireworks. And, but Moses is still that. I suppose at 80, you, you are looking at your pension, aren't you? You are, you are beginning to think, what will I do when I settle down? And, and, and God said, I'm going to send you. And he oh. Me? Now, who am I? Who am I that I should go? You're thinking, well, probably, I know that Pharaoh's dead and there's been another one, but somebody will recognize me. Somebody will recognize me. I'm at the age now, but I have some of my friends I haven't seen for 20, 30 years. I might have known about them, but you don't get to see them. They go, and you sort of think you recognize them. I think for 40 years, they'll recognize me. I don't want them to recognize, but actually, I said, well, who am I? But I'll tell you who Moses was. He's a fugitive. He's a murderer. He's somebody who said, I'm slow of speech. I'm not very good. I used to stammer before God called me to preach. I had lots of reasons not to do this. And so he's just an anonymous shepherd in an anonymous backside of the desert. He's re- rejected by his own people. When he's trying to help once, they, they threaten to hand him in and have him executed. So he says, who am I? Who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Do you ever think, who am I? Do you ever... I think it's the wrong way, but you ever think in church, everybody seems to be doing better than you? You know, someone, someone, anyone got a testimony? You go, no, no, I haven't. No, not, not, not up to date. No, not, well, not, not this millennium. But um, um, yeah, yeah. And, and they all seem to, you think, 
Do you know, I think I could be the worst Christian here. Because if you think about it, somebody is. <laughs> Maybe we could have a competition. Would you like to nominate someone for the worst Christian in Chase Christian? If you write their name in a £20 note and hand it to me, we'll put it in the competition. Somebody, but, but we have to ask, well, who am I? Do I actually know? I'll tell you who you are. You're someone who Jesus Christ loved enough before the foundation of the world, before Adam breathed his first breath, who let Adam breathe his first breath, knowing that he would have to breathe his last breath on a cross, having come lived in the ignominy of being born in, in, in a stable with cobwebs as curtains and straw as a, as a carpet, and grown up in a perfect life, going around healing people and then being unjustly sentenced to death, dying naked on a cross, buried three days, raised again, comes and, and, and says, that if it, <clears throat> I'm here that lives, that lives in my dead, behold, I'm alive forevermore, who now says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, give you a new relationship with him. You, you, you've been forgiven by him. You've been washed back because of his blood. You've been made to be a new creation. You're filled with his Holy Spirit. You, you're anointed by his presence. You're going to spend the whole of eternity in heaven with him forever and ever and ever. That's who you are. And so Moses keeps saying, well, who am I? Who am I? Do what God says. I am. Don't you tell me who I am. Ask, keep asking who I am, Moses. There's only one I am here, sunshine, and it's not you. I am the I am. And actually, if you take God's name, I am, you can put anything good after that, and that's who he is. Nothing bad fits. I am the God who loves you. I am the God who died for you. I'm your provider. I am your healer. I am your sustainer. He is everything you could ever think of you'll ever need. So who am I? Who are you? And you think, had he just wasted 40 years? Had he wasted 80 years? Do you ever think, what have I done? But actually, the training, so I used to hear that phrase, you're training for raining. Have you heard that? You're getting ready for something. Imagine somebody came in here today and said that, okay, David, we're going to give you uh, five million pounds for the church if you run a marathon in less than five hours. I mean, if they give me five days, I'd definitely be up for it. But five hours, five, five million pounds. Now, that sounds a lot of money, and it sounds great, but we would actually have to depend on which day this marathon was going to be run. If it's this afternoon, you can make it 100 million. I can't do it. I'm waiting for a back operation, and, and I'm also I'm lazy. So those two things together can make it very difficult. But if they said you get three years, they get three years. I tell you what, I'd be marking up every morning about five o'clock, we'd be jogging, especially if I said I'm going to tithe to your church. You'd be sort of, we, we, we'd be running around, we'd be, be doing that, we'd be getting ready. And there's a sense in which you might think the time in the desert, that time when you feel as if nothing's happening, God says, I've been taking you out on a run every morning. I've been exercising your spirit. I've brought you to the place now where you can go into a situation and change it, where you can be one of the ones that goes and says to Pharaoh, let my people go. But do you want to do it? I have this, I'm a just, I am a sort of all or nothing person. I, I find it easier to fast than to diet. I'm just not very, my self-control is either everything or nothing. I wish we were all a bit more like that when it comes to Jesus. Think, listen, if we're going to do this, can we just do it? Can we just say, listen, I'm a Christian, I'm going to be all out. I might as well. I, I, everything else in my life, I give myself to. I don't know how long I've got my life. Somebody said to me recently, 
Do you think this is the final generation before Jesus comes back? I said, I don't know, but it's my final generation. Whatever happens. It's the only one I get influenced. It's the only one I'm going to get left in. So it doesn't matter for everybody else. I am determined. I am determined that that little six-year-old boy that's praying for revival will have his prayer answered. I am determined to see Enfield touched for Jesus. To see Chase be a place, a, th- a thin place where the glory comes. I am determined to say it doesn't matter how much I may have blown it in the past. I've never murdered anyone, but I've sort of felt like it a couple of times. <laughs> so I've never done it. And, and so I've never done that. I don't, you may have failed. You may have written yourself off. But I'm telling you, he, he will meet you. He'll meet you on the mountain again. He will say, are you ready to go for this? Are you ready? Because what qualifies you is not you. It's him. If he calls you, you're qualified. That's all you need. My, one of my friends, uh, his father, was a great preacher. And uh, we went around with him giving testimonies. He preached the same sermon everywhere he went. And the sort of, one of his biggest points was the only ability you really need for God to use you is availability. And say, Father, let me be available. Let me give you my main ability is my availability. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray with you. Thank you. I just, even as we all sort of bow our heads, give us the, uh, the beauty of privacy. I just, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe this is like, oh, that sounds all or nothing. I've been sort of waiting my, but today's the all. Today's the day to give him all. The same Jesus who gave everything to you is asking everything of you to him. So when you're watching online, or you're listening later on, or you're here, can I ask you just to think about that right now? I see my, my right response is to say, I, I want to do that. I want to give myself 100%. This is, you've never really done that before. It's called becoming a Christian, making a decision to follow Jesus. If you'd like to do that, and you're in the room, can you just signal to me, and then I'll pray for you. And then uh, we'll pray for others, but something else in a moment. But if you're here, signal to me. If you're online, you can message us or get in contact with the church. And we'd love to just talk to you through that. For the rest of us, I'm just going to say, can we please just turn aside to see what you're saying? Can we say, Lord, I'm ready to turn aside? Every rumor I hear, I'm going to look at it because I'm going to. I'm ready to receive a call again. I'm ready to be commissioned. We want this church to be ready. In fact, we're we're going to start doing it because the amazing thing was when Moses thought about going all the way back to Egypt. You know what God said? Aaron, your brother's on his way. The journey is going to be half what you thought it was, and you think the task is impossible. Trust me, we we serve a God who works at both ends of the problem at the same time it's already been halved somebody else is doing this so father i pray just in your heart respond to him and say lord here am i you can send me here am i i'll go i'm not i embrace the wilderness a change from me that murderer with a bad temper if you can do that for moses and change him into the meekest man in all the earth then you can take me and all my imperfections and you can use me. Maybe I won't lead the nations, but I do want to lead people to Jesus. I know you want to lead myself in a way that just speaks of your godness and your greatness. So Lord, I'm turning aside. You've got my interest. I'm not giving up. I'm looking up to see what you're saying to me. 
Jesus' name. Amen.